Well, today brings us to the end of our message series on the Beatitudes. Uh, And for your information, we're going to start a new series next Sunday on the Gospel of John. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. We're going to see what that's all about in the next, oh, eight to ten weeks or whatever. But today we're talking about the next and the last Beatitude, Blessed are the Persecuted, to which I wrote, Really? I really don't like this one very much. But here is uh, the text for the day. It comes from Matthew 5, verses 10 to 12. Blessed or happy are those who are persecuted, but now it adds a little caveat here, for righteousness' sake, for theirs is, now notice that's present tense, is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Now, the first question that I'd like to take up is whether Jesus' words about persecution are still relevant today. Or have we got to the point where modern society has become so tolerant that talk of persecution is outdated? Well, I think you all know the answer to that, that, that question. Uh, are, are you crazy? <laughs> it, it still happens today. Uh, these verses are very relevant. Uh, they are not the least bit outdated. And I'm going to share with you two reasons why. And the first, I'm going to talk a little bit about the global perspective. Now, understand, I've been on the board of directors for Christ for India for, oh, man, maybe 20 years. Right now, I'm the vice president. We get updates all the time. And periodically, I hear from... Uh, Johnson Tite, or Jameson Titus, uh, who heads the group, about how one of our churches has been burned down or how our pastors are chased into the woods by, by Hindus and Muslims. But I want to I talk about another guy this morning just for a little bit. Maybe some of you, how many of you ever heard of Open Doors Ministries? Anybody ever heard of that group? Okay. It originated back in 1955 uh, when a young Dutchman started smuggling Bibles into the persecute, to the persecuted Christians who live in communist Europe. Uh, he became known as Brother Andrew. And his work led to more than six decades uh, supporting the persecuted churches. Now, they sent out a regular newsletter, and in their most recent newsletter, in their annual report, they warned, quote, that a dramatic increase in violence against Christianity in places of worship worldwide has taken place as nearly 5,000 Christians were killed for their faith. At least 14,766 churches and Christian properties were attacked worldwide during that time, with open doors reporting a seven-fold increase in attacks on churches and Christian-run schools, hospitals, and cemeteries. More than 365 million people, that's one out of every seven Christians, face high levels of persecution for their faith, So the least we can say is that from a global standpoint, the words of Jesus are very relevant for millions of brothers and sisters who live under the pressure of constant surveillance. Now, I know it's kind of easy, like, uh, does this affect us at all? Well, the answer is yes, but maybe not to the degree, prayerfully, that our brothers and sisters worldwide face. But... Here's my second part of this. The world opposes the new creation. 
The world hates what Christianity is all about. And persecution is still relevant today. Uh, Paul, in his second letter, 2 Timothy 3.12, says, Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Let me, let me ask you, you don't need to raise your hand. If you How many of you have ever had some persecution because you're a Christian? People kind of got on you for being a Christian. Okay. Well, how can Paul make such a wide-sweeping statement? He does so on the basis of a deep conviction about the nature of Christianity, what it means to be a Christian, and the nature of man's inherent sinfulness. Now, he's convinced that there is such a tension between the message that we as Christians have and the Christian way of life on the one hand, and the way of the life of people who live alternate to our life plan. And so there's often conflict that becomes inevitable. Maybe you even have it in your own family, in your extended family, or maybe in your workplace you find that that what you stand for, other people like, well, that's fine, but you don't need to be blabbing that all around place, all around the workplace. Or do you need to talk about that or over the family reunion? So these words of Jesus about persecution are Relevant for today, not only because millions, like I said, millions of people are being persecuted for their faith every day, but also because to one degree or another, all of you who are dead earnest about uh, putting God first in your work or in your home or in school or in your leisure activities are going to bump into some form of opposition somewhere, sometime, some way. It just happens. So the righteousness longed for in verse 6 in our Beatitudes, we did that a couple of weeks ago, was given in the form of mercy, purity, and peacemaking. We are to be merciful people, we are to be pure people, and we are to be peacemaking people. We talked about that in last week. But the result is persecution for that kind of activity. Verse 10 says persecution is on account of righteousness. Verse 11, it's on account of Jesus. That's where the persecution comes from. Now, people are picking on you for some other reason. That's your problem. (laughs) I don't know what you're doing to aggravate people around you. But I'm talking about because of your stand and your faith in Jesus. So this raises a question. If that is what righteousness means, being merciful, uh, being pure, Uh, being peaceable by relying on Jesus and living for his glory, why would anybody want to persecute that? You think, well, come on, Lou, he's, he's a nice guy. Why would he get any persecution for that? Well, it doesn't seem on the surface to be all that offensive. I mean, I'd kind of like to be known as a, a person who stands for mercy and purity and peacemaking? Well, the answer you find it in Luke chapter 16. It's verses 14 and 15. Jesus said this, No servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and, I think in the old King Jimmy, mammon, but here it's money. You can't serve both God and money. But then what followed came the persecution. What Jesus said is true, but the persecution followed in verse 14. It says the Pharisees, who were what? Lovers of money, 
heard all this and they scoffed at him. They they mocked him. They ridiculed him. And so there is the persecution part and part of the explanation. Why? Because they were lovers of money. So to justify themselves, what did the Pharisees do? They had to put Jesus down. Now, this, of course, is kind of the standard operating procedure for self-justification. It's the root of all kinds of persecution. So we kind of see that why a life, you know, as Christ followers, where we're devoted uh, to righteousness. I mean, righteousness is a big word for right living or right thinking or right doing. Uh, we're going to be persecuted in some way. I'm not saying that somebody could come and nail you on a cross outside the city limits of Hollister or anything like that. It may be. You may be reviled and people may say, you don't want to talk to that guy. He's just, I mean, I've heard that already. Yeah, stay away from that guy that's sitting at that table over there. <laughs> He's a religious guy. Well, I always feel like staring at him for a while, but I don't do that either. But sometimes it just happens. I mean, think about it this way. If you cherish chastity, for example, your life will be an attack on people who are in favor of free sex. If uh, you embrace temperance in your life, uh, people who enjoy a beer or whatever are going to think you're better than me. If you walk humbly with your God, uh, you will expose the evil of their pride. If you um, pursue self-control, your life will indict excess eating. If you um, live simply and happily, they're going to uh, show you the foolishness of luxury. Or if you're the kind of person who, in the community or wherever you are, you speak with compassion, um, well, it kind of points out their callousness in how they treat people. Or if you're out there and you're just being very earnest in what you're trying to do, they may make some smart aleck remark instead of a clever remark. Or if you're spiritually minded, in other words, you bring Jesus in every conversation, maybe that's the way. Look, at you kind of expose the worldly mindedness of the people that are around you. Well, we don't need any more Jesus talk today. I don't know if you ever heard this. Don't bring Jesus up at the family reunion, for heaven's sakes. Now, I, that doesn't happen to my family, but I have a feeling it happens in other families. In fact, just so you know, we're not going to say the prayer before we eat today because we don't, we don't want to offend Uncle Billy and Aunt Maud. Really. I'm not saying you should immediately stand up and, you know, on a stool and, and say we're going to pray now whether you like it or not. I mean, that, that's being offensive. Now, when you desire to follow... The right living examples of Jesus in his strength and for his glory. There are only two possible responses people can have that are around you. And these are described in John chapter 3, verses 20 and 21. It says, for everyone who does evil hates the light and does not come to the light, lest the, their works should be exposed. That's one possible response. They hate the light of the gospel. And they're not going to accept that, and you can just keep your gospel to yourself. That's one way. That's one possible response. But then the passage goes, and says, but he whoever does what 
is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. So this is the other possible response. Doing the truth, speaking the truth, acting the truth, living the truth. Somebody may say, that's a life that I wouldn't mind being a part of. And they end up choosing the Christ life. So these the two options are either persecution or conversion. That's what happens. You kind of drive a wedge in. But we ask, what about all the unbelievers in your life? I'm sure that all of you could probably say, yeah, I kind of know. I mean, unless you live in a holy little huddle and never get out of it, you're going to run into people who are unbelievers. What about those people that don't appear to be either converting or persecuting? Um, Maybe you you have these friends who are just civil. They're even polite. Well, I'll give you two possible explanations. One is you've hidden your light under a bushel basket. That's kind of a harsh statement, isn't it? In other words, we're kind of keeping uh, the stumbling block of the cross, you know, private. We're not going to bring that stuff up. That's one possibility why there's no conversion or rejection. Another one was because we're letting our values show and the people around us are suddenly moving one direction or the other. Persecution or conversion. We've created some thought process in people. Maybe they go home and they said, man, I stopped at the coffee shop this morning. Jeff Mitten was there. I hadn't seen him in a long time. And we got to talking and he started sharing Bible passages with me. And the, the more he shared some stuff, the more uncomfortable I began to feel. I mean, I was cordial. I listened to him. But I soon found a way to go home a little early. But man, I drove home and man, he may be right. He may be wrong. And so you got a person who's somewhere between what? Persecution or conversion. That's not a bad thing. It's not a bad thing. But understand, neither persecution or conversion always happen immediately. It doesn't happen that quick that they leave Jeff, get in their car, and start wrestling back and forth between those. But maybe after a while. Got home. Cheryl says, what did you do this morning? Well, I was at the coffee shop. Got engaged in a conversation with this guy. And, you know, he seemed like he was struggling with stuff. And I kind of offered him some examples of how life works out better. And, and she says, well, that sounds like a lot of silliness. And the guy might go, well, yeah, in a way it is. But, you know, I guess it wouldn't hurt if I cleaned up my language a little bit. See that little movement from rejection to maybe some point of conversion. Now, many people are torn inside themselves, partly hating the claims of Christianity, partly really attracted by it. In other words, a new birth in Jesus may be nearing a happy end or the storm may be about ready to break right on top of you. But verse 11 in the text is blessed or fortunate are you when men revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad. To be in a situation where you cause somebody to think about Jesus. Be happy that you got him to that point. It's kind of shocking. I mean, what can possibly justify the command to be glad when we're hated or mocked or ridiculed or tortured or killed? Not a lot of joy in that. 
this is, after all, what they did to the prophets. This is what they uh, did to the disciples. I mean, every last disciple other than John was martyred. Jesus in Matthew 24, 9 says, They will deliver you to tribulation, put you to death, and you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. But, what does he say at the end? Oh, by the way, rejoice and be happy. (laughs) Rejoice and be glad. Now, he can say that because he knows beyond any shadow of a doubt that the rewards of heaven will more than compensate for any suffering we have down here. People pass away, guess what? Their suffering ended. And joy has been opened up. Some people suffer in this life and still live and are waiting for the joy to come to make them feel better. Paul in 2 Corinthians 4, 17 and 18, he says, For this slight momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison, because we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. Yeah, life can be difficult. Being a Christian isn't always that easy. I mean, it'd be pretty easy to say, what we do on a Sunday morning, this is happy, clappy time. We all love each other. It's really great to be together. And then we just, but the world is out there. And some people who work in the community, like Anthony, may run into some people who aren't necessarily happy, clappy Christian people. They could be rude. They could be obnoxious. All kinds of things like that. You can run into them at that wonderful place like White River or wherever you guys have moved to. I don't remember where it is right now. Uh, it, It happens. It happens out there. Now, how do we rejoice in the midst of suffering? Uh, How do we be happy if there's affliction or persecution? How do we keep our hearts focused in heaven as Christ followers? I want to suggest that you consider uh, the ones who were persecuted and killed for the cause of God and his righteousness. I don't think it's a bad idea. In fact, I went back and I, I read through Hebrews 11 this week or actually in the last couple of weeks in preparing for this message, because in Hebrews 11, uh, you read how by faith people suffered everything from mocking to scourging to chains and imprisonment. Uh, you, read, you read Hebrews 11, 36, 38, and it says some people were stoned, some were sawn in two, some were killed with a sword, some went around in skins of sheep and goats, some were destitute, some were afflicted, and some were ill-treated. In other words, friends, if you if you get you first you get join the crowd, you got a great cloud of witnesses. I'll give you another example. How many of you have ever heard the name Dietrich Bonhoeffer? Oh, this guy was persecuted for his faith. Lutheran pastor in Germany during uh, Nazi times. He was condemned to death. In 1945, he was on. He was being walked to the gallows to be hung by the neck until dead. And as he was doing it, this is what he said. This is the end, for me, the beginning of life. Interesting thing to say. This is, this is only the beginning. And ten years later, the camp doctor wrote these words about Bonhoeffer. All at the place of execution, he said a short prayer and climbed the steps to the gallows, brave and composed. His death ensued after a few seconds. In the 50 years I worked as a doctor, I have hardly ever seen a man die so entirely submissive to the will of God. Suffering, persecution, only draws me closer 
to the Lord. One last point as we kind of conclude our walk through these eight Beatitudes. Uh, The blessed are your beginnings. Uh, It's something I almost forgot, but maybe you didn't as we've gone through this. But for what it's worth, I'm going to kind of walk you through them real quickly again. Uh, In verses 3 and 10, when we started, if you look at those Beatitudes again in Matthew 5, he started verses 3 and 10. Those were all present tense Beatitudes. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is, is the kingdom of heaven. And then when you got into 3 through 10, all of those, or 4 through 9, they they became future. Listen to these one more time. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those of you who mourn in some way, for you shall be comforted. Future. Blessed are the gentle people, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. They shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. And the last one today was what? Blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is, is the kingdom of God. Isn't that interesting? All those is's and all those shells. I looked back at the Beatitudes this week and I thought, wow, present and future blessings. What a deal. What a deal. In fact, Mary Evelyn, we ought to sing about this because what a deal this is, this is truly amazing grace. That's what it is. Let's stand and sing that song. <laughs>